This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show. Thanks for joining me this week. We're going to hear first from The Big Story, their episode from January 11th, 1950, titled Gambling and Divorce Can Mean Murder. After that, it's I Love Adventure and But Grandma, What Big Teeth You Have, their episode from August 7th, 1948. The Big Story. You the night clerk? You just signed the register. You just give me your money. Okay, you're the guy. Just tell me this. How's the hunting in these parts? You mean deer, bear, rabbit, that kind of thing? Yeah. Where can I get a twenty-two automatic pistol or rifle? Gee, I don't know. All right, tell me this. I see a big full-page ad in the paper. Open house at Calneva Ranch. What's that? It's a big place out near the California border, about 30 miles out. They do it the opening of every season. Free drinks on the house, free meals. Big crowd? Packed. Maybe that'll be even better than, what did you say, deers, bears, and rabbits? Yeah, that ought to be even better. Now I want a twenty-two rifle or automatic pistol. Now. Reno, Nevada. The story of a reporter who showed that gambling and divorce can also mean murder. Reno, Nevada. The stories that actually happened. Frank McCullough's story, as he lived it. The body was found slumped over the wheel of a Cadillac, a bullet having entered through the left temple and lodged in the brain. The necktie was drawn up tight against the throat. He was identified by a local resident of the Lake Tahoe region, just inside the Nevada border near California. Why, sure, Sheriff, everybody knows him. Name's Wenzel. Owns a lot of property in these parts. Some say his rich as Croesus. Some say he didn't have a dime. Two feet from the rich or poor real estate dealer, on the floor of the car, was the casing from a twenty-two caliber shell. And on the seat next to him was a bag of sweet rolls, bought at the Alexa Bakery near Lake Tahoe. These rolls bought here? That's right, Sheriff. These are our six for a quarter. They're very good. I'm sure, I'm sure. And a big fat man about... Seventy? Buy them? You mean Mr. Wenson? That's right. He buys them almost every other day. You know, sometimes I can't understand whether he buys them because he likes them, like he says, or because that's what he eats for his lunch. Did he say anything to you about going to the open house at the Calneva Ranch? Isn't that funny, now that you mention it? I said to my husband, what's he buying rolls for if he's going to the Calneva Ranch opening? He'll get enough to eat there. Okay, thanks. Say, let me have one of those brownies. They look good. By now... The news of the death that reached you, Frank McCullum, reporter for the Reno Gazette, reached all of Reno. And you were out at the Calneva Ranch with Sheriff Parsons as he questioned the head waiter. 
The ranch was a beautiful, sprawling place. Its dining room in California, open till two. Its bar and gambling room in Nevada, open all night. Very pleasant and comfortable and very convenient. And the head waiter went with the place. Well, you see, Sheriff, our open house is perhaps the most popular event of the season. We get, oh, 2,500, 3,000 people in that day. And Wenzel was in? Oh, yes. Like I said, it was crowded. And Mr. Wenzel was waiting on the line for a table, and I didn't have a table. I mean, I couldn't give him a table alone, so I asked him if he would mind doubling up. He said, sure. And he sat down at the table with this other fellow. What was the other fellow like? Just a fellow, young. I really didn't notice. What did they talk about? I mean, at the table. Well, I wouldn't eavesdrop. Okay. Show me the waitress. Well, he was very fussy. I brought him the curry chicken, and he said, You call this curry chicken? And he sent it back. And then he said the mashed potatoes had lumps in them, the coffee was cold. This was Wenzel? Oh, no. So the other fellow, the young fellow, the good-looking one. You couldn't do nothing to please him. Even about the ice cream, he had to say something. Uh, What did they talk about? Well, as near as I could get, you know, I was very busy. The young one was interested in buying property in the area, and the fat one was... Uh, very... Wenzel? I guess that's his name. Well, he kept saying that there wasn't any better land in the Lake Tahoe region, you know, like a sales talk. And the young one kept saying, well, he didn't know if he wanted to stay in this part of the country, and the fat one kept saying how he couldn't do better. He kept saying these were the choicest lots in the whole area, but I was busy. I, I, I didn't really hear what they said. They leave together? Well, they must have. Because there they were, and when I looked the next time, there was a lady and a gentleman sitting there. I was surprised, because the young one left a dollar. He didn't act like a tipper to me. The fat one didn't leave nothing. The last link between the two men, the fat dead one and the thin young one, came from an associate of Wenzel's, a young man who worked with him in the real estate office. Well, after he finished eating, I was at another table. He came over and he said, Eddie, that's my name, Eddie, I think I got a sale. And I said, gee, Mr. Wenzel, it's a funny time to be going out with a prospect. It was going on 11 o'clock. And then he said, listen, if I can't sell that boy a piece of property by moonlight, I'll eat my own necktie. And then to to find the tie tied around his neck like it was, gee, he was a fine, happy, good man. And it stops there. A rich or poor man... Shot through the temple, last seen with a good-looking young prospect, period. And that's all. Nothing else shows up. But you, Frank McCullough, are a crime reporter. And for you, the case is not closed because of a theory you have. That is this. Somewhere, sometime... Someone always talks about every major crime committed. That's been your experience. Twelve years of it. And so, you start on your beer and listening system in the dives along Commercial Avenue, where somewhere, sometime, someone must talk. Have a beer, Tommy? Whiskey. You've got it? Tommy, this one happened 30 miles out. 31. From here to the Calneva Ranch, 31 miles. I measured it once by car. How'd you know what I was talking about? I asked questions about a lot of places. What do you know about Winston? I'm interested in finding out about... Maybe you shouldn't. Shouldn't what? You said you was interested. Maybe you shouldn't be. 
What does that mean? Just what I said. Look, do yourself a fat favor. Save yourself trouble. And I mean big trouble. Forget about it. Now, come on, where's the whiskey? Tommy knows. No crime within a hundred miles he doesn't know about. But there's no more. He swallows his whiskey and another one and a third. But there's still no more. Just the enigmatic, maybe you shouldn't be interested. Then Sergeant Dave Peters sidles over. Where are you going, reporter? Oh, just walking around. What gave you the idea you'd get any answers on the Winslow killing here? How did you know I was on Winslow? Look, let's don't spar, huh? I got other things to do. What do you know, McCullough? Oh, I've got ideas. I've got theories and I've got ideas. Okay, you play it close to the chest and so will I. Wait a minute. I know that Wenzel wasn't rich. I know he was a four-flush. He had those lots on consignment. And if he sold them, he had a dollar. And if he didn't, he had buttons. That much I know. I figure this prospect, the young guy, the good-looking one, he thought he had a take, but he found out he didn't have a take. Something got crossed up somewhere and the gun went off. And, uh... What do you know about the prospect? Nothing. But I know this. Two days before the killing, there was a gunman in town. I don't know where he stayed. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he was after. That's something I heard about also. I know this guy, the gunman, was out shopping for a twenty-two. Now, that's the only connection. What he looks like, I don't know. And what he was after, I don't know. Except he tried to get a twenty-two. You want to team up what I've got, what you've got, and vice versa? All right. We got a deal. No stories in your paper. A gunman and a prospect buying real estate. A twenty-two caliber gun. And from the way Sergeant Peters talked, and the way Tommy talked, a case that isn't very healthy to mention. And so you don't. Not to your best friend. Not to your wife. But the next morning, Tommy, whose last name nobody knows, comes over to you in another Commercial Avenue bar. You got a loose half buck on you? Why, sure, all the time, Tommy. Whiskey, no chaser. So you and Sergeant Peters is a pair, hmm? You'll be getting in the gossip columns next. How do you know? Make that a beer, Chase. You, uh... You know the Golden Light Hotel? I've heard of it. There's a night clerk there by the name of Addison... But like I told you before, it's something you shouldn't be interested in. I'm not, Tommy. It's just that I'd like to get a room at the Golden Light. Where would I get a 22? I don't know nothing about a 22. You think if a fella comes in here and says, get me a 22, I'll go out and get him a 22? Look, Addison, I heard you weren't very particular. Okay, okay, I ain't denying it. This ain't the best hotel in town. You can get things here, sure. But guns? No, sir, that's out of my line. That's way out. Look, let's stop kidding around. You know just what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Wentzel. Look, you know what's the worst thing in the world to know? It's to know something about something you don't want to know. About a fella killing another fella. That's the most dangerous thing in the world to know. You ought to be glad I'm not talking to you. I've been walking around with this thing for three days now, and I'm going crazy with it. I don't want to know it. I don't want to talk about it. Let me alone. What did he look like? What did the gunman look like? I'm telling you, three days I'm going crazy with it. I'm not going to say another word. 
Don't you think I want to live too? The information alone could frighten someone. But paralyze a man as the clerk is paralyzed. Only one thing could do that. The presence of the killer in town. And then, in a hotel bar. He says, you McCullough? Go ahead. He says, stop talking to Peters, the cop. He says, stay away from Tommy, the stool. Who says? He says, leave Addison alone. Stay out of the golden light. Look, stop getting mysterious. He says, forget about it. Because he says, he says he's watching you every single step of the way. And he says, maybe you're a smart enough reporter to want to go home to your wife and the two kids you got. One's six and one's two, aren't they? That's what he said. You're on a case of murder, but you haven't spoken about it to anyone. Not even your wife. You, Frank McCullough, reporter for the Reno, Nevada Gazette, and Sergeant Dave Peters are working together on the case. And though you keep it to yourselves, someone knows every move you make. Someone's watching you. Maybe the killer. And you just left a girl, a girl you never saw before, who told you... He says, forget about it. Forget all about it. That's what he says. And so, of course, you go to your partner, Dave Peters. You're slipping, Frank. Why? Because obviously she knows more than she told you. Because there are ways of getting to learn what that more is, and you didn't do it. So? So I think I can. I'll go back to the hotel bar, and we'll find out what it is. Okay, partner? Okay. I can't tell you. I can't. I swear I can't. He'll kill me if I tell you. Did you ever hear of the police department, lady? Guys don't go around killing people just like that. Now, who is he and where is he in Tor? Now, you want me to go through the whole routine and arrest you for suppressing information, hindering the prosecution of justice and so on and so forth? Now, where is he? He's up in room 204, asleep. Ludigan is his name. But please, maybe I'm stupid, but don't say it was me, huh? All right, Ludigan, come out of it. Come out of it. Look at his eyes, hmm? Peters. He looks coked up. Maybe. Come on, Ludigan. Come on, come on. Let's sit up. Well, well, what are you doing? Take your hands off me. Leave me alone, huh? All right, Ludigan. Where'd you get the gun? Uh, why don't you call me Ludigan? Is that who I am? Oh, no, it, it don't sound right. Don't sound right. What are you doing? Putting on an act here? Come on, stand up. Stand up straight. Come on, stand up. I was walking around. All of a sudden, I said, you know, I don't know who I am. All of a sudden, like that. Then I heard a violin playing some music somewhere. A violin. And it started to tingle all down my arms and my legs. It began to tingle. And I said, it must be I got something to do with a violin. That's who I am. Something to do with a violin. What are you giving So I went to the store, this music store, and I says, give me a violin and a bow. And I put it up my shoulder under my neck, and I started to play. And I says, 
please, God, let me know how to play the violin. Maybe then I'll find out who I am. But I couldn't play. Came out sour. Couldn't play a thing, not a note. Only made scratching sounds. I never found out until you just now said Ludigan. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's who I am. You registered in the hotel. You signed the register. The only time I felt anything that was right was when I heard that music. And now that don't mean nothing even. Nothing. Nothing at all. What do you think, Chris? All right, Ludigan, sit down and go back to sleep. Don't go anywhere. Come on, Frank. I think he's on the level. Uh, me too. If he is on the level, then... Then our girlfriend is giving us a beautiful line. Oh, sure, that's what it is. She threw us Ludigan, figuring that we'd take him in. A dopey amnesia can't prove where he was, where he wasn't. Figured we'd be satisfied with him. That means that's that... That's right. And I'll tell you another little surprise. I talked to your friend Tommy just to make sure. You know who she is? Who? She's the wife of the night clerk at the Golden Light. Well, well, well. Only we're not going there right now. We're going to wait until it's nice and dark and late and he's sleeping. Then we'll pay him that call. The night clerk. He's off duty tonight. <laughs> Put the light on, Frank. Hey, what are you doing? What's the idea? Hey. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That was a nice idea. Throw us a fall guy. Throw us a guy who don't know who he is, and maybe we'll pick him up, and maybe that'll end the case. Look, I tell you, you gotta believe me. We'll believe you when you start talking about the tall, thin, handsome guy. The guy with 22. There's nobody around. We've checked. There's nobody around but two of my men. So if you want to talk quiet, that's okay, too. But talk. You think I'm kidding, huh? About it being dangerous to know. I'm telling you, never in my life I never meet a guy like him, and I met a lot. Ice cold. Everything he said, everything he did. Planned. Careful. Icy. If you look in his eyes, you have to turn your face away. All right, fine. Now let's get down to the facts. The first thing he done was... You know about the ad in your paper that Cal Never Ranch takes for the open house? Go on. No more stalling. I'm not. I swear I'm telling you. Well... He asked me about it. He turned to the page and showed me the ad and says, that was two days before the killing. I think the hunting there might be better than deers, bears, and rabbits. Now get me a twenty-two. I never got nobody a gun before, never. But you know just to look at this guy that if you didn't do what he said... Never mind, go on. So I got it for him, through a guy I know, and then I didn't see him for 24 hours, and then he came back. He came back going on one in the morning. I was all alone. How much money you got, Addison? Gee, I ain't got any money. What do you mean? I'll tell you a funny story about that gun you got me. I went out to the place, the ranch, and I met this big, fat, dope Wenzel. He tells me how rich he is, all the land he owns. Five acres there, 20 acres there. So I says, this is what I'm waiting for. He's got a fat Cadillac. He takes me out there in the moonlight to see the prize lots. And I says, all right, Pop, what do you got in your pocket? And the dumb, fat slob, he started to scream. So what can I do? <laughs> he had eight bucks in his pocket and a bag of sweet rolls. Ain't that a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> 
You shot him? How much money you got? I got a 1949 Mercury downstairs. I'll leave it with you for security because there'll probably be roadblocks anyhow. Now, how much money you got? The car is yours. And that's the truth, Sergeant. I got it for $200 and he gave me the car. I, I never drove it. I never touched it. Where is it? It's out in the back in the garage. License plates? There ain't none. He made me bury him. He said, don't look at the numbers. If you ever seen a man's face cold, icy... All or... right. Let's go where you buried the plates. You dig them up. Texas license plates. And now it's a matter of waiting. You check the plates with the Texas authorities and find his name, Martin Stevens. A record a page and a half long. Wanted for robbery, for assault, escape from prison. This man is dangerous. Everything in the book. And you wait. And then a disturbing report comes in from Houston, Texas. Martin Stevens picked up Houston, Texas today. Claims to have been in this city past five weeks. Corroboration by wife, local school teacher, completely reliable. You want extradition. Peters, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Let me see that. Unless... Dave, unless... Yeah. Those icy eyes. The kind of thing he made Addison do. Shouldn't be hard for a guy like that to have his own wife lie the same way. I'm putting in for extradition right now. He comes. Martin Stevens. Well-dressed. Thin. Tall, good-looking. A tolerant smile playing on his face. I was never in Nevada. I never heard of this ranch, whatever you call it. I never stayed at the hotel on Commercial Avenue, and I don't know how to use a gun. Otherwise, I'm at your service. The eyes are as Addison said. Absolute ice. Now warm for purposes of charming people. Convincing them. So, because your experience as a reporter has helped so much, you are present when Sergeant Peters lines them up, the inexorable array of people, one after the other. As I said before, he waited on the line because I didn't have any free tables. And then I showed Mr. Wenzel to a table. This gentleman was sitting there. Oh, I can't make a mistake, no, sir. Him being so good-looking with that cute mustache and the way he left me a tip, it was a whole dollar bill. Mr. Wenzel said to me, pointing to him, if I can't sell him by moonlight, I'll eat my own necktie. It was his idea to tell the cop and the reporter that this Ludigan, the fellow who lost his mind, that he was the one who'd done it. Okay, Addison, take a good look. I don't know. Those are bars between you. One-inch steel bars, and he's been frisked. His eyes can't do any more than look at you. Well... He's the one. I got him the gun and I gave him the $200 and he made me bury the plates. Okay, Addison. Go on home and forget all about it. Even with all that, you still won't prove it. You won't prove a thing. I spent the whole time in Texas. Houston, Texas. I wouldn't be so sure, Stevens. I think we'll prove it fine. And you do. The jury listens to the witnesses. The waitress, the head waiter, the business associate the night clerk and his wife. And then they listen to the handsome man with a mustache and icy eyes. And they make a judgment. And the judgment is as you stated. And once more, your theory is right. Somewhere, sometime, someone always talks. 
we read you that telegram from Frank McCullough of the Reno, Nevada Gazette. On trial for first-degree murder, killer in tonight's big story accused the night clerk of being the murderer. But the state clinched their case by producing the murder gun which killer had pawned in Los Angeles. Killer was sentenced to life in prison. And so ends another big story. In order to protect the names of people actually involved in tonight's authentic big story, the names of all characters in the dramatization were changed with the exception of the newspaper reporter. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Transcribed from an earlier network broadcast. The American Broadcasting Company presents I Love Adventure. Adventure number seven. But, Grandma, what big teeth you have. A new Carlton E. Morse production featuring Jack, Doc, and Reggie. Four o'clock in the afternoon in the office of the A-1 Detective Agency, around the corner and up one flight, just off Hollywood Boulevard. It's hot, and Mary Kay Jones, the cutest secretary in Hollywood, is dressed for it. Her boss, Jack Packard, is sitting directly under an electric fan. His feet up on the desk, his shirt open at the collar, and a glass of iced coffee in his hand. Boss, it's so doggone hot, it's indecent. Gets so a girl doesn't care anymore. Why don't you take off something? If I took off one thing more, you could hand me a cake of soap and a wash rag and send me to the shower. Try some iced coffee. John, immediately perspiration starts out on me like a whirling spray. Oh, honest to goodness, boss. Why don't you shut up shop and let a girl go home and sit in a tub of water? Go ahead. I want to wait for Doc and Reggie. What do they got that we want? They're supposed to turn in a report on the Bronson Firebug case. Insurance company's been screaming for us since Monday. Oh, great. 150 in the shade and we got to work on a firebug case. Not you. 
What do you mean, not me? I'm your secretary, aren't I? I'm not sure sometimes. You're not sure about what? When you come down to the office in clothes like you got on today, I sometimes wonder. Oh? Maybe I ought to keep you for a pin-up, girl. Don't like him, huh? No. He's grown. Don't like him? Sure, what's the reserve him? But what'll uh, clients think? What clients? Hey, did anybody ever tell you you're the freshest secretary in Hollywood? Besides, I don't wear my clothes for the clients. No? No. I wear them for the boss. Ever since you reopened the A-1 detective agency after finishing up with the 21 old men, I've practically been throwing myself at the boss. But the poor dope isn't having any. The office is no place for romance. Well, then, for the love of Mike, why don't you take me out on a dark road some night? It's a nice balcony seat in the theater. I'll come and sit on my front porch. No, oh, you're much too important to the A-1 agency as a secretary. You think a little fraternizing on Saturday night would cut down my office efficiency on Monday morning? Hey, look, Mary Kay, I'm too hot to argue. I've got... Oh, somebody in the outer office. Yeah, boss, I'll get it. Relax, boss. It's just Reggie. He's got a kid with him. Kid? Boy? Surprising as it may seem, it's the boy. See you for a minute, Jack. Sure. Okay, fella. In with you. Hey, you see this tadpole, Jack? I bet he's not over ten years old. How old are you, son? He's not talking. Anyway, you know what I caught him doing? Caught him purse snatching. Hey, no kidding. Right down there on Hollywood Boulevard. Went up behind a woman, jerked the purse out from under her arm, and streaked it down a side alley. He'd have got away with it, too, if he hadn't run right into my arm. Is that right, boy? Is this a police station? Uh-uh. You did steal the woman's purse? Don't look like any police station to me. You give the woman's purse back to her, Reggie? Yeah, she wanted to call a uniformed cop, but I flashed my special on her. Let me have the kid. You've been purse snatching for quite a while. Look, if this is a police station, where's the cells where you lock people up? As a matter of fact, this isn't a police station. Oh. Uh, we're private detectives. Yeah? Yeah, I'm Jack Packard. Man who brought you in is Reggie York. Is she a private detective, too? No, she's our secretary. She's hot stuff. Hey! <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Where'd you get that kind of talk? You ought to have your mouth washed out. Touchy, ain't she? What's your name? Fred Crawford. Mm. Now I know you're not the police, I'm not scared anymore. That's good. How old are you? I'm 11. Still look here. You sure about that? But crying out loud, don't you think a guy knows how old he is? Well, you don't look 11 to me. All right, skip it. Where do you live? 6170 Selma. Oh, that's just around the corner, boss. With your folks? Hmm? I said you live with your folks? Yeah, sure. My grandmother. Is that all? Yeah, that's all. It's my grandmother. Does she know you're a person at you? Uh, no. You go to school? I, I used to. You mean you don't go to school now, kid 11 years old? I don't sleep very good. A growing boy 11 years old doesn't sleep good? What's the matter? Conscience bothering you? No. Why don't you sleep good? Some nights I do. Some nights I have dreams. Uh, what do you drink? I don't know. Yes, you do. I don't want to think about them. Nice dreams. Bad dreams, huh? Yeah. Well, it might do you good to tell somebody about them. You like to try? They, they don't make any sense. They're crazy. Well, go on. I'd like to hear them. Here, yeah. You want a cold drink? No. I'm not sweating because it's hot. I sweat like this when I think about the dreams. 
Sometimes I wake up in the night sweating like this. Here, want a handkerchief? No, I got one. Gee, when was the last time you had a bath? Oh, so you're one of them dames that right away get personal. <laughs> oh, but your hands, they're filthy. Doesn't your grandmother ever make you clean up? No. Never mind about that. Let's get back to this dream business. You'd rather talk about that anyway, wouldn't you? I never told anybody. Sure, that's probably why they keep worrying you. You tell us about them, it'll probably make you feel a lot better. Grandma can tell when I'm restless. She can even tell before I get into bed that I'm not going to sleep good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then she gives me something to make me sleep. Capsule? Huh? No, with a needle. Sure, now. Here, roll up your sleeve, bud. Here, let me do it for you. No, this time. No, no. You're getting all this down, Mary Kay. Every way, boss. You think it might mean something? Hey, Jack. Look at this kid's arm. Needle punch. Four, six, eight, eleven of them. What the heck? They don't hurt. Okay, you can roll your sleeve down. How about these dreams? Well, well, it takes me a long time to get out of our house. You mean in your dream you get up and dress and want to get out of the house? I don't want to, but I gotta. For some reason, I got you don't know what the reason is, huh? Yeah, that's it. And it takes me a long time to get out. And I have to go through a lot of rooms. And big rooms and long rooms. And I have to go through a lot of doors. Lots of doors. Hurry, bud. Hurry up. Don't let him catch you. Hurry. Hurry. Every room I went into, my voice sounded different. Hurry, bud. Don't let him catch you. Hurry. Hurry. Bud, hurry. Hurry, they're after you. Don't let him catch you. You gotta hurry. You gotta hurry. <laughs> oh, don't cry, Dad. Take it easy, bud. It's just a dream. No, it isn't. Because one time a gun went off. And I heard somebody scream. And when I went to put my shoes on in the morning, they were all covered with mud. Well, you can see how crazy that is. Look outside. So hot you could fry steak. And it's been that way for the last two months. How could you possibly get your shoes muddy in Southern California in June? It happened. I know it did. What happened? I... Show somebody. Go sure, look, fella. I better buck you didn't. You got your dreams all mixed up with... Where was this? Where did it happen? That's yours. That's all I know. And you think you shot somebody? Sometimes. Sometimes I'm running and people are chasing me. Sometimes I dig a hole in the ground and bury things. You know what it is you bury? I don't know anything. I just wake up sweating and tired. I hadn't been in bed any of the time. What does your grandmother say to all this? I don't tell her. I'd be scared to tell her. Why? Yeah, why? Grandmothers are wonderful people to tell things to. Not my grandmother. Okay, bud, we've talked about everything but the purse snatching. I know you don't want to talk about it, but we got them. Not part of the dream. Maybe not, but we'll talk about it just the same. How many times have you done this? Snatched a woman's purse. No, no, no. Look up at me. That's it. Is that true? Honest. 
I believe it is true. Why'd you do it? Honest, Mr. Packard. Something made me. It was just like I'd done it before and knew just how to do it. I didn't want to all the time I was doing it. People don't do what they don't want to do. Never mind it. But I want you to come in the back room. Back here with me. What's back there? Makeshift laboratory. Come on. You want me, boss? Oh, you and Reggie wait there. In with you, boss. Hmm. Funny business. Hey, you picked yourself up quite a case. What does Jack care with the kid dreams? When I was a youngster, I used to have some dreams that make butter dreams sound like mush and milk. Yeah? What did you dream about? Women? What kind of women? Mary Kay, it didn't make any difference what kind of women, you know? Women. <laughs> oh, fine. And speaking of women, Mary Kay, if there's anything cuter than the clothes you've got on this TM, it's the stuff that's inside of them. Uh-uh. Mustn't touch. So, Jack Packard and over there. That's the way it is. Isn't life a crime? Hey, no kidding, Reggie. Give a girl a lowdown. Gladly. On what subject? Well, why did you and Jack and Doc break for the 21 old men? <laughs> Ten Gramercy Park? Yeah, why did you? Well, no break at all, my dear. I'm not your dear. And there must have been some kind of break. Because that international stuff is right down Jack's alley. He wouldn't have given it up to come back and reopen the A1 Detective Agency office here in Hollywood. If he could have gone on with the whole world as his playground. Matter of fact, we were getting too well known. Yeah? How do you mean? Twenty-one-old boys need pawns whose faces aren't known. Oh, that's it, huh? Getting so the old boys couldn't send us anywhere without Jack being spotted as their man. So we had to wind up business and come home, huh? Oh, we'll do a job for them still once in a while. Doc's really the one who persuaded us to reopen the agency. <laughs> now he does love to play detective. Huh. That red-headed Texan. You know why, don't you? No, why? Well, it gets him around among the girls. Ah, yes. Girls. He's worse than you are. And that's something. Brother. Hmm. That's perfectly all right, bud. you got a gun and killed anybody, there'd be a little speck of burned powder embedded in the skin of your hand. No, wasn't it? No sign. A lot of dirt. No burned powder. That's what you were doing in there, giving him the burned powder to Yeah. Get on your horse, ready. What? You've got to go out in that hot glare again? We're going over and see Bud's grandmother. If my grandmother finds out I've brought anybody home... She's not going to know. You're going to stay here with Mary Kay. I don't trust her. Hey, why do you say that? She's got that soap and water look in her eye. She's going to wash me. Well, why don't you let her? You might get to like it. Come on, Reggie. Coming. Take care of each other, you two. Look, I'll make a deal with you. Yeah? What kind of a deal? You don't wash me, I don't run out on you. <laughs> hey, why the big beef about washing? Doesn't your grandmother ever wheel the wash rag? My grandmother don't ever make me do nothing. Oh, but she must care about you. But why does she give you injections to make you sleep? I didn't know. But it's not because she cares about me. Oh, that's too bad. No, it ain't. It's okay. She don't care about nothing, and I don't care about nothing. And it's okay, see? This is the house. What the fire trap? Look out if we don't break our necks getting up on the porch. Now, well, come on. Don't rap too hard. You'll knock the door off its hinges. Maybe Grandma isn't home. Mm. 
If she's not playing bridge, Beverly will show Having tea with us. Hey, hold it, hold it. Here's a minute. Somebody's answering the door. Don't hear nothing. She's listening just inside the door. What's it done again? Well? Uh, you Mrs. Crawford? The name be Mrs. Crawford. Why shouldn't it be? Uh, we represent uh, an insurance company. Oh, do I look like a good rich young man? Oh, no, we're not trying to sell insurance. No? No. Uh, my name's Jack Packard. Well, how do you do, Mr. Jack Packard? This is Reggie York. Hello, Grandma. <laughs> do tell. I've always been very partial to educated young men with broad shoulders and the way with the girls about them. Well, Grandma, what a beautiful smile you've got. Oh, and from England, too. <laughs> An English lad if there ever was one. How about Miss Packard and me coming in and talking a little? Uh, just a minute. Oh, I say. No? You said you was from the insurance. That's right. We're detectives for an insurance company. Oh, detectives. Yes. Oh, uh, uh, what's an insurance company need a detective? Why, um, I don't know whether I should tell you this or not. Yes? Well, you see, when a person insured by our company dies and leaves a large amount of money for us to pay to his relatives... Somebody done that? Died and left a lot of money? Happens every day. Well, you see, then Reggie and I are sent out to find the proper relatives to which our company will pay the face of the policy. Well, maybe you young men better come right on in. Open the screen door. Now, you have to excuse me with no carpets on the floor on account they've been sent to the cleaners for weeks now. She really means it's pawn shop. Okay, cut it out, Rick. Come on right in, gentlemen. Come right in. They ain't much furniture, I grant you, but what they is, you're welcome to. I think this apple box will hold me up. Well, suppose I am poor. There ain't no call to make fun of a poor old lady who's doing the best she can, is there? Oh, look here. Honestly, Mrs. Crawford. I know how it is. I was young and thoughtless once myself. Young folks forget how hard the world can be to old people. Tolerated, that's all. Just barely tolerated. And let to hang on a little while longer. Jack, why don't we get out of here and mind our own business? Oh, no. No, you don't want to go. Uh, what were you saying about somebody leaving a lot of money? Uh, Mrs. Crawford, that was just an old... Yeah, yes, Miss Crawford. Just an old acquaintance of yours. At least so we're led to understand. Uh, you know, or should I say, you did know a gentleman by the name of Robert McCauley? Robert? Oh, oh, you'd be meaning dear old Robbie McCauley, why, of course. And uh, would it be Robbie who's died and left me the money? Yeah, but Mrs. Crawford... Of course I knew Robbie McCauley. Known him all my life. Grew up with him. Nearly married me. Oh, great. He did so. Three different times. He almost married you three different times. He did. And if he left me money... It's no more than right that he should. Us being what we were to each other. Okay, Jack. Witness is yours. Before we can go any further towards getting Robert McCauley's money for you, I'm going to have to ask you a few questions. Well, if they're about Robbie... No, they're not. They're, they're about your grandson. What's my grandson to do with it? Everything. His name's Bud, I think. Uh, Bud Crawford? That's right. Well, there's one stipulation in Miss McCauley's will... Uh, Money goes to you only providing you've been a good grandmother to Bud. Well, who says I haven't been a good grandmother? Nobody, no. It's just in the will. See, Mr. McCauley loved children. Oh, yes. I remember. He always did, yes. So we've got to make sure in our own mind that you love and care for Bud. Huh? Uh, could we see him? Why, why, I think the loving lad is at his studies in school at the moment. Oh, I see. 
Well, I don't suppose it's really necessary to see him personally. Maybe if you just show us around the house, show us his room and his toys. What for? We've got to have something which to form an opinion of your relations with your grandson. Did you ever know a grandmother that didn't love her grandchildren? Oh, well... Did you? Well, no, not that I know of. Well, there you are. I love Bud, and I give him all the, the mother care. I know how. And he'd tell you the same if he was home. So what more is there? Oh, by the way, Reggie, that other appointment... Uh, other appointment? Uh, oh. oh, yes, yes, that. Look, it's almost four o'clock. I wonder if you'll stay here and finish up with Mrs. Crawford while I run along. Uh, well, what about the money? Well, uh, Reggie will finish talking with you about that. Nice meeting a kind old gentlewoman like you, Mrs. Crawford. Uh, take good care of Mrs. Crawford while I'm out, Reggie. Uh, will do. Well, he certainly had to get up and go in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, that's Jack. Abrupt. You know what I think, Mrs. Crawford? What? I think Jack just got up and left because he wasn't getting anywhere with him. Getting anywhere? Sure. The minute you laid eyes on me and saw I was a bit of brawn and bone from England, you weren't interested in what he was saying at all. Uh, but what about Robbie McCauley's money? See, uh, you aren't interested in money when you've got a broad-shouldered lad. Who says I'm not interested in money? My Grandma, what greedy eyes you've got. You uh, wouldn't by any chance be one of the original 1890... Give me girls, will you? Oh, what is this, anyway? Grandma, could I ask you something? Don't call me Grandma. And you get on out of this house. Well, going to get tough, huh? You want me to call the police? Sure. You want me to get them on the line for you? Well, what do you want to ask? Grandma, what's that stuff you've been shooting into Bud's arm at night? That syringe. Hey, Grandma, don't look so scared. Where's Bud? Where's my boy? Just take it easy now. Nothing's the matter with Bud. Now, Bud's a sickly boy. Bud's not well. And they... What's that? Hmm? What's what? Somebody in my bedroom. Maybe you've got burglars. Maybe you're just hearing things. Listen. You're standing just on the other side of that door. <laughs> what big ears you've got, Grandma. Look. The doorknob's turning. The door's opening. You! Well, if it isn't my old sidekick, Jack Packard himself. You look pretty upset, Miss Crawford. What are you doing? In my bedroom. You're an old lady, Miss Crawford. You shouldn't get so upset. Get out of my house. You hear me? Get out of my house. Sit down, Grandma. You let go of me. Sit down. Jack wants to talk to you. That's it. You, you can't do this to an old lady. You can't, man. All handle. right, that'll be enough of that. You recognize this narcotic needle? Doggone syringe, big enough for a horse. You do recognize it, don't you? The needle you've been using to give your grandson injections. What was the hypnotic drug you used? You're wrong. You're wrong. Oh, never mind, never mind. The police laboratory will tell me quick enough. Where'd you get the stuff? Oh, I'm a very old lady. Well, it's a good thing you are, because I feel like mussing somebody up good. Shooting a kid full of hypnotic drugs and then sending him out to do your dirty work for you. Sure, Jack. What sort of dirty work? First snatching, for one thing. When he was shot full of that stuff, he responded to any suggestion his grandmother made to him. That's how the old lady's been living. Look, here's a couple of women's purses. Those are my purses. They're mine. There's no such thing. Look, this one's got the initial JJB stamped on it. The other one's got a personal card inside. Mrs. H.S. Edwards. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? 
An old lady like you. Persecuting an old woman. Cut the crocodile tears, Grandma. But here's the most interesting item. I found it tucked in the back corner of a bureau drawer. Uh-oh. Gold watch. Yeah, and on the back of it is engraved the following. Patrolman John S. Redmond from the Los Angeles Police Commission for his excellent work in the performance of his duties connected with the control of narcotic traffic. Patrolman Redmond? But he's been missing for almost three weeks. Yeah. Police department's been like a bunch of caged wildcats. What's the matter, Miss Scrawford? Nothing to say? Under circumstances, I doubt if I would either. But that was a dirty business trying to make an 11-year-old kid think he did it. You had him full of that hypnotic stuff. You had him with you. He heard the shot. He heard the officer's death cry. You told him over and over he killed. When he woke up, he believed it. Very well, Mr. Packard. If you are going to persecute me, there's not much I can do about it. Hello. What's come over the old dame? You say all this isn't true? If I've done all this, there's got to be a body someplace. That's right. Have you found a body? Grandma, you should have cleaned Bud's muddy shoes the next morning. Shoes? That's right. Where would a boy get muddy shoes walking around this neighborhood in June? I don't know. I didn't either until I went out and looked around. There's been some new street work not so long ago. What happened? Did a water main break? I don't know what you're suggesting. I'm suggesting that Patrolman Redmond was on to your little narcotic business. He told his office he was on to something, and I think he came out here, put the bee on you, and you took care of him. Took care of him? Yeah. Then planted the body out in the street excavation where they were repairing the water main. It was at night. Bud told us that much. And that's how Bud got his shoes muddy. So you think somebody shot somebody? That's right. Sit down, Grandma. You take your hands off me. I told you. All right, just a minute, Reggie. Let her up. Manhandling an old lady. You think you're going to walk out on her? Who's walking out on anybody? You come with me. Where? Calling the body a murderess. I'll show you. Watch out, Jack. She doesn't give you the slip. Who's giving anybody the slip? Stand aside so I can open this door. Well, you look at this. The old shack's got a basement. And what if it has? I'll show you if I'm a murderess or not. On the heels, Jack. It's tricky. Oh, well, you needn't walk on the hem of my skirt. What's supposed to be down here? There now. Well, just a dirt floor. Yeah. Dank and soggy as a marsh. And now you know why my grandson had mud on his shoes. He must have an underground spring. No. Watch me a step. Darker than the inside of a cow. Is that why you brought us down here to show us this soggy basement? Turn your flashlight over in the corner there. Give me a flash, Reggie. No. Now, there you are. Now say I'm... Where is it? He's gone. Who's gone? What are you talking about? I had him tied up down here. How did you get away? You had who tied up down here? That Snoopy policeman. You had Officer Redmond tied up down here in this basement for three weeks? He was hurt. I was nursing him back to his health. <laughs> tied up down here in this pneumonia hatchery? And you were nursing him back to health? You're nuts, Grandma. Reggie, call the homicide squad. Come to bring their picks and shovels. <laughs> I swear, Mary Kay, they have more cops swarming over that old lady's house than Lucas Time in Kansas. Mrs. Crawford is under arrest for murder? Well, they haven't booked her yet. They're looking for Officer Redmond's body. Oh. Digging up the street in front of the house and in the basement. Buried there someplace. 
But why's Jack got Bud in his office? Well, I'm supposed to be catching you up on what's happened while we try to fly something else out of the boy. Mm. Now that his grandmother's in house, what's to become of him? Bud? Hmm? Not all, I guess. Gee, that's too bad. Honestly, he's nice people, Reggie. Once they got some of the dirt off his hands and face. He let you wash him? Sure, we got to be pally as... Hey! I got a grandmother, too. No kidding. A nice girl like me? Of course I have. She and Grandfather live in the country. Are you talking about wishing Bud Crawford off on your grandparents? Well, why not? They got lots of room. They'd show Bud what real grandparents are like. Uh-oh. Jack wants us to come in. Yeah, look that way. No kidding, though, Reggie. What's the matter with the idea? Don't ask me. Bud likes it, and your grandparents like it. All right, come on in, you two. You got anything new, Jack? Bud and I have been talking about where he's going to live. Yeah. Well, she wasn't very much of a grandmother, but... Well, golly, when she's the only grandmother a fellow's got... Hey, Bud. I was just thinking. Yeah? Yeah. I got a swell grandmother. A country grandmother. How'd you like to have a share of her? Think she'd want me? I'll make you a bet. Real country with cows and and butter and stuff? Honest to goodness cows and honest to goodness butter. Hey, that's something I always wondered about. When you get butter right out of a cow, how does the cow know to make a quarter pound cube right on the nose? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, boss. I'll take it, man. Hello. Yeah, this package speaking. Oh, hello, Inspector. about out of his head? Hey, he's in the county hospital. Picked up wandering dazed on the street. Out of his head with fever. He's going to live? Yeah. Well, but how did he get away? Old lady got careless or something. But he's alive, bud. And you know, that's a wonderful thing for you. Yeah? You bet. Murder is a tough thing for a kid to carry around on his shoulders, even to the third and fourth generation. Hey, you know something? I'm nuts about the way you talk, Mr. Packard. Yeah? Even to the third and fourth generation. Someday I'm going to talk like that. <laughs> you could do a lot worse, bud. Talk like him. Act like him. Hey, I think you're in love with him. <laughs> he thinks she's in love with him. Talk <laughs> about your department of understatement. Well, what's the matter with that, you dope? I'm not the dope. Jack's the dope. D-O-P-E, dope. With double palm and oak leaf cluster. <laughs> You have just heard I Love Adventure, a new Carlton E. Morris production. Featuring Michael Raffetto as Jack Packard and Tom Collins as Reggie York. Next week, adventure number eight, entitled The Man with the Three Green Eyes. Jeanette Nolan was the grandmother in tonight's show. Gene Bates was Mary Kay Jones. And Henry Blair was Bud Crawford. But Grandma, What Big Teeth You Have was written and produced by Carlton E. Morris. Organ music by Rex Corey. Your announcer, Jim Butters. Now, a listening reminder. Stay tuned for The Johnny Fletcher Show. This 
is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from I Love Adventure, The Big Story, this podcast, all of the other Relic Radio podcasts, and our Shoutcast stream, all at relicradio.com. If you'd like to help support all of that, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes all of this possible. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.